Welcome to Grace Abounds. I'm Pastor Jen Shaw, and in this podcast, I'm sharing my Sunday sermons from St. John's Lutheran Church, Palm Desert, California. I'm so grateful that you've joined us, and I trust that these words build you up in faith, hope, and love. Who has authority? in your life? Who do you follow? Who do you listen to? I recall some years ago, sitting in a Bible study led by CLU professor Dr. Jim Callis, as he discussed how each of the four gospel writers focuses on different things as they tell the story of Jesus. Matthew focuses on Jesus as a teacher, offering wisdom for life in the redemptive reign of God, who fulfills the prophetic promise of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, that the Lord would raise up a prophet who will speak everything that God commands, and we are to heed him, listen to his voice. Luke focuses on Jesus as the embodiment of God's compassion for all people, who overturns the established hierarchical social order of this fallen world, raising up the poor and lowly and bringing down the rich and mighty. John focuses on Jesus as God incarnate, the word made flesh, the the Lord, the giver of light and life, who is, as Psalm 11 declares of the Lord, full of grace and truth, who demonstrates the life-giving works of the Lord, who loves this world so much that he came into it in order to redeem it. And Mark, Mark focuses on the power and authority of Jesus the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. Mark is filled with urgency and action, written to a Greco-Roman audience who would have appreciated strength and command. All of the Gospels recount examples of Jesus exercising his divine authority over both natural and supernatural powers. Jesus commands the winds and the waves and calms a storm at sea. He feeds thousands with five loaves of bread and two fish. He turns water to wine at a wedding in Cana. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and the son of a royal official and a woman who had been ill for 12 years and many, many more. He frees people from demonic oppression. Jesus uses his divine authority to teach and heal and set people free as he does in our gospel reading from Mark 1. Having called fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him, having explained to Philip and an amazed Nathaniel that he is the connection between heaven and earth, Jesus goes with his disciples into the city of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, a Roman colony and a commercial fishing center where Jesus will make the headquarters of his ministry. And Jesus goes with his disciples on the Sabbath 
to teach in the synagogue. The remains of a first century synagogue, likely the one in which Jesus taught, are still in Capernaum today. Now, so far, none of this is unusual. Visiting rabbis were welcome to teach in local synagogues, along with the scribes who transcribed the scriptures before the printing press, who made copies of the scriptures by hand and therefore knew them by heart. The scribes would quote from scripture and tradition and apply the wisdom of the past to present daily life. But Jesus is not like the scribes. He's saying things they've never said. He's bringing a new teaching. He's offering instruction that transcends tradition. Jesus speaks with authority. Now, Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus says here, but the Greek word for authority is exousia, and it means having and exercising power, the right or freedom to control. That word comes from the prefix ex, out of, as in expel, and usia, essence, substance, being. The teaching of Jesus has authority, ex usia, because it comes out of his being. His words have power because he is the word incarnate. He is God, our creator, speaking directly to his creation, to us, the authentic words of eternal life. As Pastor Brian Zahn puts it, Jesus is what God has to say. But not everyone wants to hear. As Jesus is teaching on this holy day of the Sabbath, in this holy place of worship, suddenly someone interrupts the service, screaming at Jesus, asking him if he has come to destroy us and identifying Jesus of Nazareth as the Holy One of God. Now, Mark describes this person as a man with an unclean spirit, a hostile, transcendent being, a negative force, a demon. Now, there are many different understandings of supernatural beings, angels, and demons in our church and in our culture today. Some say demons don't exist. Some say people in biblical times didn't have the same understanding of mental and physical illness that we do today, And so they attributed those things that they couldn't understand to demonic possession. Some say there are hostile beings that oppose the will of God, demons, just as there are beings who serve the will of God, angels. Some say, along with the Apostle Paul as he writes in Ephesians, that there are cosmic powers and principalities of this present and passing darkness. There are destructive spiritual forces, corporate and personal evil that transcends, is beyond, but also works through free will, human agency. In other words, a demon 
is anything with power that opposes God and God's good purposes. Anything that would keep us captive to malice and away from freedom in love. Anything that would speak destructive lies into our lives and keep us from hearing the healing voice of truth. However we understand demons, in that synagogue, on that day, Jesus encountered a man in pain, a man who was not himself, a man held captive. And Jesus sets him free. Jesus says to the unclean spirit, be silent and come out of him. And with a great and violent protest, it obeyed. The man was healed, set free, given new life by Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Holy One of God, defeats anything that is not holy, overcomes evil with good. He speaks and acts with the divine authority of the one true and gracious Lord. He demonstrated his divine life-giving authority throughout his public ministry. He demonstrated his divine life-giving authority when he picked up his cross and suffered and died and rose again to life on the third day, defeating death forever. And he will demonstrate his divine life-giving power and authority when he comes again and fully and finally defeats the cosmic powers and principalities of this fallen world and heals us and the whole creation. Knowing Jesus Christ changes lives for the better. Knowing Jesus changed and is changing mine. I recall that I first read Martin Luther's The Freedom of a Christian while I was at Fuller Seminary. And I was so moved by Luther's description of the joyous exchange in which Jesus Christ takes our sin and death and gives us his salvation and life eternal as a free gift that I set down the book on the kitchen table that also served as my desk in my studio apartment walked across campus to the prayer chapel and sat in that chapel and wept. I felt so loved, so grateful, so free. I experienced what Luther experienced and wrote about in the freedom of a Christian. Jesus Christ sets us free from worries about our own life and salvation. We don't have to worry about that. Jesus Christ has taken care of that. We are saved. And so Christ sets us free for serving the Lord and others in love, caring for each other, and this world God made doing what Jesus did. Jesus Christ has set us free, and we are free indeed living into our freedom as the community of Jesus is a major theme in the letters of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 8, for example, Paul addresses whether or not Christians are free to eat meat that had been offered to idols, which 
in that time and place in the city of Corinth that was known for its worship of Greco-Roman pagan gods would have been most of the meat in the marketplace left over after it had been part of pagan ritual worship. Now, Paul is writing to Jewish Christians who had been taught their whole life that this food is unclean and therefore not to be eaten. And Paul is writing to Gentile Christians who had recently converted from the worship of pagan gods. And so for them, eating this food would represent going back to their old ways. Now, imagine how comfortable you would be feeding your family food that you know had been part of a pagan worship ritual. Paul says, yes, Christians can eat food offered to idols. Because Christians who are strong in faith know that idols are fake and don't have any real power, that there are no gods but the one true gracious God, that there is no Lord but Jesus who is Lord. And so eating this food is no big deal. But, Paul continues... There are Christians who are not as strong in the faith who don't have this knowledge. They're not in the same place in their faith journey. And so eating this food or seeing their fellow Christians eating this food would damage their conscience. For them, it is a really big deal. And so Paul writes, If you know that food is not the most important thing here, if you can take it or leave it, Leave it for the sake of your fellow Christians. Don't force the issue. Don't drag them to someplace. They're not ready to go. Don't judge them. Don't use your freedom in Christ to hinder them. Knowledge, Paul writes, puffs up, but love builds up. As Paul will write so beautifully, just a few chapters later in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind and doesn't insist on its own way. Love, as Jesus taught us, is the most important thing. May we heed his words, listen to him. May we remember his life-giving works. May we use this liberty that he has given us for building each other up in love and faith and hope. And may we share the truly good news that Jesus Christ has the authority to set us free. And we are free indeed. Amen. Thanks for listening. Each week's episode is edited by Nick Cox. Music performed by our St. John's Worship Band. Sermons by me, Pastor Jen Shaw. Make sure to subscribe to hear each week's message. If you'd like to know more about St. John's mission to know Christ and make Christ known, to share the life-giving word and do the life-giving work of Jesus, visit our website, stjohnslutheran.church. May God bless you on this day and in all the days ahead.